0: All right. Welcome to Bible study, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, Thanks for coming out tonight, a much more pleasant evening than it was the last time we gathered. So it is good to see you, and it's good to be here. Let's start our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you, God, for uh, your care over us, that you teach us, that uh, you give us truth and you want us to become more than we are today i thank you for an expectation that we can all have of becoming more an expectation that he who has begun a good work in us shall complete it even unto the day of christ jesus so we thank you for the good work you've started and we thank you god that you're going to complete it we ask god your blessing on this time we pray that we would have just be wide open I have ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray, God, for our minds to be open, our hearts to be open to all that you want to speak and all that you want to reveal. I pray, Father, that this will be a time where we can receive of you if we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up here on the table. But if you do have your Bible, it's going to open up to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to talk about the priesthood tonight, and I hope to eliminate some misunderstandings and also to eliminate some confusion. Uh, part of what I believe about the simplicity of the gospel is that those forces that complicate the gospel or complicate our understanding of the gospel are working to cause confusion in us. And confusion breeds, in, in most of us, as far as our faith is concerned, breeds inactivity. Uh, in other words, when we can sufficiently confuse something or we can sufficiently, sufficiently make something too complicated to actually practically apply to our lives, then we can dismiss it in our minds. And I think people do that all the time. So one of the things I really believe that God's called me to And part of what my ministry's been for a lot of years is trying to simplify some of those things and trying to bring some kind of reasonable order to it so that we can actually take some truth and apply it. So uh, Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 15 through 19. Would someone like to read that? Okay, stop right there. Stay there, because I'm going to want you to read more of that. But I want to comment on that uh, before we get too deep into what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Uh, What's going on here is that we have the writer of Hebrews addressing an issue. And the issue was this, that Christians were beginning to understand Jesus as their high priest. They were beginning to teach that. They were to believe that. They were developing a theology, a Christology around Jesus being the high priest, the new high priest, the high priest forever. And some of the believers that were also Jewish had trouble with that. They were having a real problem with Christians saying, well, Jesus is the high priest. Now by high priest, what I'm talking about is the one who brought the sacrifice, the one who Represented or acted as mediator between God and man, the one that had stood in that gap for them. And so they were understanding him in that role, and yet the people that had been born, raised, and taught, according to the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, had a real problem with that. Now, why do you think they'd have a problem with understanding Jesus as a high priest? What was wrong with that idea? He wasn't a Levite. He was not a Levite. That's correct. Jesus was from and born to the tribe of Judah. Priests did not come from the tribe of Judah. Priests came from the tribe of Levi, sons of Aaron. And so there was a distinctive problem, there was a distinct problem with having him as a priest and understanding him as a priest. And so objections arose as to calling him that and understanding him in that way. So the writer of Hebrews is addressing that. He's addressing the issue of how Jesus could be a priest and not be a Levite, and not be from the tribe of Levi. So this is what this is answering, and he starts it off. He says, but suppose another priest like Melchizedek appears, and we'll look and see who Melchizedek is in a second, but, but that's what's going on. Like, suppose something else happened. Suppose a priest not in the line of Levi appeared, but let's say a priest like Melchizedek appeared. What would happen then? And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He's saying that if you consider Jesus to be a priest like Melchizedek, then everything that he had been saying in the first six chapters of Hebrews made even more sense, had even more to do with the life of Jesus, more to do with the life of the people that he was speaking to, than if he had rose up out of the tribe of Levi like all the traditional priests had done. He says in verse 16, he says, If he's not from the tribe of Levi, if he's from the tribe, if if he's raised up like Melchizedek, if he's like him, he's not a priest because of who he was born to in that case. He'd become a priest because of his powerful life instead, just like Melchizedek became a priest. Now, how did Melchizedek become a priest? We have no idea. We We don't know much about Melchizedek. I can give you a little bit of background on him. Some of you probably know some of this, but uh, Genesis chapter 14, Abraham had been robbed. Some foreign kings had come into his territory, and they had stolen a bunch of stuff from him. People, goods, livestock, things that were his, things that belonged to his family, like Lot, his nephew. And they had come in, they had stolen his stuff, he'd been robbed. And so the Bible tells us that Abram chased after these guys that robbed him, these kings or whoever they were that robbed him, hunted them down and beat them in a battle and took back all his stuff. So he got all his stuff back, including the men, women, and children that they stole, all the livestock and all the goods, everything they took. He got them all back and he was heading back home with everything that was his. And in Genesis, in in this area, Genesis 14, it says that this king of Salem, Melchizedek, came out to greet him while he was on his way back to his house, back to his home with all his stuff. Now, he just won a big battle. He'd recovered all his stuff, and he was heading home. Melchizedek comes out into this valley, and he greets him. Now, Melchizedek is described as a priest and a king we don't really know anything much about him he has no origin story so most people have an origin story even superheroes have origin stories correct? correct Melchizedek did not have an origin story we don't know where he came from he just appears Genesis 14 boom poof he's there he's out he's greeting Abraham Now, his name means King of Salem, or in other words, King of Righteousness or King of Peace. That's what his name means. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what happens to him after this either. We do know a certain number of things. This is what happened. This is what takes place in their encounter. Melchizedek comes out. He greets Abraham. He offers him a meal of bread and wine. What does that make you think of? All right? So he gives him a meal of bread and wine. He blesses him. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Abraham, in turn, gives Melchizedek a tenth of all that he has. What do we call that? A tithe. And that's it. That's it. So the only mention really, of Melchizedek is right there. And then, after that, the mentions of Melchizedek refer back to that one moment that we actually see him and we actually meet him, right there, when he went out to greet Abraham. So everything else you hear about Melchizedek is referring back, referring to that moment. So we don't really know that much about it. In fact, we hardly know anything about it. So, Dave, keep reading. Okay. For it is you are, you are a priest forever in the order of the Okay, stop there. He's quoting Psalm 110 and verse 4. The, the writer of Hebrews is calling upon, and in this psalm is understood to be talking about the Messiah. And so his readers, the ones that, who were objecting, to calling Jesus the high priest, the ones that had the big upset over it, because he wasn't according to Hoyle from the tribe of Levi. And so he couldn't be a priest. These were the guys who were objecting to that. So the guy writing Hebrews, this is his response. He says, you have a psalm, Psalm 110 and verse 4, talking about the Messiah and declaring that the Messiah would be a priest forever, just like Melchizedek. So suppose Jesus was like Melchizedek. And this is the argument that he's making. Now this argument isn't so important to us based on the legalities of it All right, in other words as the jewish lawyers you know we get that word from somewhere the rabbis the ones who studied the law the lawyers as they had issue with every dot and tittle of the law he brings up this point and this would be important to them not so important to us in this sense of the law but important to us in another sense. and We'll get to why it's important to us. But this was a key, a very key point that he's trying to make with these guys is that, listen, there's another order of priesthood. Now think about Melchizedek. Think about Abraham. Which came first? Which came first, Levi or Abraham? Abraham. Abraham. Because Levi hadn't been born yet. In fact, Levi, that, that, that whole order of priesthood wouldn't even exist for hundreds of years. So who came first as a priest? Aaron? The high priest? The first high priest under the covenant? Or Melchizedek? The high priest we don't know anything about. But we hear about in Genesis 14. Who's first? Melchizedek's first. We have to understand and and keep it in mind that the people worshipped God before Mount Sinai. People were worshipping God before the law was ever written. Understand that. Job took place before the law was ever written. Job was worshipping God. Job was serving God. Job was making decisions about God. A whole theology had been developed, as you see, through his friends. His counselors that, that, that were blaming him for everything that was going on, they had a very set theology that they believed that had been set long before Mount Sinai. Hundreds of years before we ever see the law written on the tablets with Moses. Hundreds of years. And so as Abraham was worshiping, as Abram was going about what he was doing, as Melchizedek was going about what he was doing, the king of righteousness, the king of peace was going about what his, this priest king, they pre-existed the whole, whatever you want to call it, the whole law, the whole Sinai, whatever the covenant you want to think about that is being, they pre-existed that by hundreds of years, and they were actively worshiping God. There is a worship of God that took place before the law was ever written, Understand that, and there is a worship of God continuing to take place based on, based on that priesthood that we hardly know anything about. So just suppose Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek. Then we have to understand that that order is much older. Okay? Are you following what I'm saying? Melchizedek is much older than, than what we think of as the priesthood. Melchizedek is much older than the, the Ten Commandments that were written on the rocks by Moses on the stone tablets. By the finger of God, I should say. Much older. Much older than temple worship. Much older than... All those things that we associate with Old Testament worship. Well, this Old Testament worship was hundreds of years before what we'd normally think of. And we need to get that straight in our heads. And so the writer of Hebrews makes the argument saying, listen, you're you're really upset about us calling Jesus the high priest, but just suppose he's a high priest, not a Levite, not a member of Aaron's family, but just suppose he's of the order and he's like Melchizedek. Now to them that would say, well, that's going way back, because it is. That's going back before all these other things, before all these other ways uh, that that they had been so steeped in their whole lives as being the only ways. It was going back way before that and so that would have to begin and they would have to begin to expand their understanding and half our issue i think sometimes is just allowing for something we haven't thought of before to get into our minds to get into our hearts maybe something we hadn't heard before maybe something that we'd never considered before maybe something that god's going to do That And I don't know that anything's new under the sun, but maybe something we haven't ever seen before that he wants to do in us, through us, by us, allowing our hearts and minds to open up enough that we can actually see something like that happen. Okay, Dave, go ahead. Alright, thank you When you read verse 18 The old rule The old rule is done away with It was weak And useless So in other words What, what is he saying here? How do you understand What he just said through those words? Don't make it complicated What is he saying? To you It's been set aside. It's weak and useless. The law didn't make anything perfect. So let's go back. And that's what he's really saying. He's like, go back before that. Go back before that point because that old rule is being set aside that law that could make nothing perfect is being set aside being done away with because it's weak and it's useless compared to what compared to jesus and if you want to go back to a certain place go all the way back to melchizedek and so how can the writer of hebrews say that Well, he has every right to say that because their father, who they look to as the father of all the people, Abraham. Who did he give the tithe to? Melchizedek. Who blessed who? Melchizedek blessed Abraham. So who showed the honor? Who showed the respect? Who is the one who humbled himself? Who is the one that showed appropriate respect to the other? Abraham bowed to Melchizedek. And so if you're looking for one greater, Melchizedek is the one greater. So Jesus coming as a priest like Melchizedek, as a king priest, Right, like Melchizedek was a king priest, who's going to bow down to him? Everybody. Everybody. Most specifically the people that the writer of Hebrews is writing to. Because he took them way back, didn't he? He took them way back to the start where they could trace themselves from, where all of their pride was centered in, everything they believed, their whole identity was centered in Abraham. He took them all the way back to the start, all the way back to the beginning, and who did Abraham bow a knee to? And that was Melchizedek. Well, what if Jesus is like Melchizedek? Who are you going to bow a knee to? To him. You're going to bow a knee to him. So do you see why this was important to them? Do you understand why why this point is is key to them understanding the place of Jesus and who he actually is and who he needs to be in their understanding, their relationship with God? Because it has everything to do with that. Everything to do with how they're going to identify themselves from that point forward. About who was more important what was more important? Who had the more authority? Who was the one that they were going to bow a knee to? Who they were going to submit to? Who they were going to find their identity in? It's going to be Jesus. And they're going to need to leave behind the things that no longer mattered. Now, as well educated Christians, we got a little bit of the law in us, don't we? you grew up in a church now some of you grew up in a church some of you didn't If you didn't grow up in a church you probably don't have some of the law in you like that but if you did grow up in a church you've probably got some of that in you some of that arguing about it some of that talking about you know which is which is more important which is stronger which makes more sense which how do we do this how do you find the balance there is no balance There's no balance in this. And that's what he's saying. There is no balance. We're not arguing about Jesus being from the tribe of Levi anymore. We're not arguing about Jesus not being of the sons of Aaron. We're not arguing about that anymore. We're going to go way back before that to the point of a national identity for these people. And you're going to say he's the one that bowed to Melchizedek. So just suppose Jesus... He's of the order of Melchizedek. Well, he goes beyond that, and he declares it. Jesus is a priesthood forever, a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's who he is. And so we've gone back and beyond. And that promise given to Abram, given to Abraham, his seed, and, and Jesus was a child of Abraham, would bless the whole earth. Gentiles, Jews, Greeks, everybody will be blessed through him. And that's the point. So we can argue about it. There is no argument. We can try to figure out a balance. There is no balance. Jesus is King of Kings, He's Lord of Lords. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no balance. That question has been answered. And whoever Melchizedek was, some people believe he was a prefigure of Jesus, some people believe a lot of things about him, and all of it is conjecture in a sense, because we really just don't know. But what matters about it is where that starting point is. What matters about it is is Abraham bowing a knee and tithing to him. What matters about it is that it establishes a clear line and a clear authority that comes all the way down to Jesus. And so whether we're going to talk in religious circles or non-religious circles or whoever we're going to talk to, it establishes a clear line to who he is as king of kings and lord of lords. Melchizedek predates the law. He entered without beginning or end. He seemed to be a man, but he was more. We know that because Abraham bowed down to him. He served bread and wine. He blessed just like Jesus blessed. And an everlasting priesthood was established. In other words, it would never end. And this would be an everlasting priesthood apart from the law. Can you agree with that? It predated the law. The law gives it no authority. The law gives it no definition. The law gives it no meaning whatsoever. It existed before the law existed. It didn't require the law to start with it. It doesn't require the law now. Period. like Jesus (laughs) everything I just said you could say like Jesus because I could say he entered without beginning or end I could say he seemed to be a man but he was more I could say that he served bread and wine he did we got the story could say he blessed he did bless he's a part of an everlasting priesthood that will never end absolutely it's apart from the law That's Jesus. That's Jesus. You know, Jesus from the tribe of Judah. Think about that. What does Judah mean? Anybody know? The word Judah? It's defined in the Bible, that's how you know what it means. It just means praise. He's from the tribe of praise. And and, and that whole idea of who he is, that whole idea of his life, that whole idea of how he is a priest does not require the law in any way, shape, or form. It is before it, and it's after it. You know, we exist afterwards. We came into this thing way afterwards. And, and there is a worship that has been a worship since before, and a worship that's a worship now. There is a service that was a service before, and a service that's a service now. You know, you get people arguing about things. I, I remember talking to somebody, I was uh, training a guy, he wanted to be a pastor. And those of you that are part of the church, you know that I really don't talk about tithing. I don't think I've ever spoken about it from up front on a Sunday or anything like that. And and I believe in it. I do it. And I've done it the whole time I've ever been a Christian. And God's never let me down with it, ever. And I can testify to it. I can give you specific examples of things that God's done, all those kind of things. But I, I was talking to this guy. I'm like, you really need to establish some giving, because he's starting a church. I'm like, you got to establish some giving in the church so you can have some kind of a foundation to run what you're doing. He's like, yeah, that's a good idea. And then he just volunteered this to me. He's like, yeah, I just don't believe in tithing. I'm like, you don't believe in tithing? He's like, no, no, that was just all Old Testament, you know. I'm like, so what do you believe in? Well, I just believe in giving. I'm like, how much? Well, I don't know. I don't either, tell me. Because, I mean, there's examples in the, in the Bible of people giving everything. Going out and selling pieces of land and just giving all they had. Putting it into the pot and everybody living off of it. I mean, is that what you're talking about? Well, maybe. All right, so somebody should give 90% of what they make. Well, if they want to. Who wants to? I mean, I'm really trying to reason with the guy a little bit because the stance was confusing to me. Because I, I, I don't, you know, take anything that I do, I, like tithing, I don't do it because there's a rule in the book about it. That's not why I do it. I think 10% of everything I make is a reasonable amount to give it to my provider. I think it's reasonable. In fact, I think I'm getting off pretty easy with it, truthfully. You know, just from a, like a transaction standpoint. I mean, the government takes more than that. They take a lot more than that i give my server more than that when i'm in a restaurant okay and so and some of the bad service i've gotten and i've still still been able to give them 10 percent at least not 15 or 20 and they were terrible i still give them 10 percent you know if my maker my creator my provider the god of the universe if I can give him 10%, I feel pretty good about that. I'll probably give him more. You ever see My Blue Heaven? Steve Martin movie? He's got, yeah, he's a line in that movie. He's, he's giving tips to everybody, you know, like the FBI. They got him in a witness protection where He's tipping the FBI agent or whoever's, you know, getting him out to his house. And Like, what are you doing? He's like, I believe in over-tipping. Yeah. Now that I'm comparing that, I'm not giving God a tip or anything. What I'm saying is, is there needs to be a generosity in us and a recognition of, of who we're serving and a recognition of his part in our life and a recognition of his provision over our lives. And besides that fact and, and getting nowhere with this, I, I can't even describe to you the frustration of the conversation I was having with this guy, getting nowhere with it and and... Tithing isn't even, it's more than the law. Abraham tithed the Melchizedek. There wasn't any law, was there? The Melchizedek, did he have a toll booth up? Did he charge him 10%? No. He wasn't charging him anything. That was a response. That was a generous response from Abraham, from Abram to Melchizedek, to give that 10% to him. It was something beyond. It's not because somebody told him he had to do it. It's not because somebody said, this is the requirement for you to get by or this is the requirement for you to leave this valley. He gave it to him because he wanted to. His heart was full and he gave. Now, I suppose somebody told me to tithe the first time, but it was never disagreeable. And we, we've always given more to missions and all the rest of that kind of stuff, but God has always blessed us. I can't. Times that we didn't know where things were going to come from. I remember one time we were, uh, right after I got married, we were living in a place, and the place we were living in was taking all our money. We didn't really have a lot of food. Uh, I think I spent, at that time, $10 a week on groceries. That was our budget. And, but we tithed and i remember going to a minister's meeting it was uh, about this time of year middle of november maybe went to a minister's meeting and I'd, i hadn't really been to one. It was one of the first ones i'd been to been to a couple before that maybe in the summer and so it took the day off work went to the minister's meeting june took the day off from uh, substitute teaching or teaching whatever she was doing and we went to this minister's meeting and they had this uh I don't even know what you'd call it. It was like this big gathering of food and people. And they just took the food, divided it up between all the home missionaries, the guys planting uh, churches, and us because we're working with college students. And so they added us to the list. They filled our car with food, filled it up. I mean, to the point, there was just no room in the car. It, it took us trip after trip after trip to unload it. We didn't even have a place to put it all was that overflowing and that was an early lesson that was an early lesson about it, it's like yeah there's my $10 a week right there man, with more food than I even have cabinet space for just like that I don't know why I'm talking about this but I I just wanted to to say that, that you have to keep in mind this is all before the law all right, and I'm not talking about the law. I'm not talking about you know we got we got to follow after the rule or something like that. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is this predates all that. This is all a long time ago, centuries before that. And so I, I don't I don't buy that whole argument. Well, that was all Old Testament. Yeah, so is worshiping God. Yeah, so is, so is laying down your life for God. Yeah. So so is God restoring us. So is God providing for us. So so is all those things. Yeah, it's the same. We want to make it that much different, but man, it's the same. Look at Job. That story makes sense to people even now, doesn't it? Everything doesn't always go your way. What are you going to do? Cry about it? Are you going to blame God? Get all bitter about it? Are you going to take the good with the bad? Naked I came into this world. Naked I shall... depart and, and whatever happens in between happens. It's not like rocket science. Long time ago, oh, that's all Old Testament. Yeah, well, that's life. David, worshiping God, a man after God's own heart, not a perfect guy, making his mistakes, that's life. The prophets, mistakes they made. That's life. The kings of Israel couldn't keep it together. Some good, some bad. Not all great. Didn't agree with that guy like that. That's life, isn't it? I think it is. So we're not arguing about it. We're not arguing about it. And just like the writer of Hebrews addressed in the same way he addressed those that wanted to argue about it, there's nothing to argue about. You can quote as many things as you want. You can say it, you know, whatever. You can lawyer up on being in the law, not being whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because it doesn't have anything to do with that. Jesus doesn't have anything to do with that. The old rule is done away with. It was weak and useless. The law didn't make anything perfect. But it goes on to say, Now a better hope has been given to us. That hope brings us near to God. Yeah. So what they were holding on to wasn't bringing them near to God. In fact, it was weak, it was useless, and it was, I would, I would even suggest it was taking them away from God and had for years. Right now I'm reading through Kings and Chronicles and all the times that they just didn't follow after God they built their altars they worship a uh, ball they baal they they had asherah poles all that stuff yeah what good was it doing them nothing nothing it was doing them zero I have some more verses for you look at it they're just bunch in Hebrews. Since that's where we're at, so let's look at Hebrews five ten. Somebody want to read that? All right. So th- this verse says flat out, because if you read the verse before, it says Jesus was God's son. But by suffering, he learned what it means to obey. In that way, he was made perfect. Eternal salvation comes from him. He saves all those who obey him. Do you notice that word obey in there? Is that offensive to some people? <laughs> I think to some people it is, but it's a good word. He saves all those who obey him. Verse 10 God appointed him. So who appointed him? God did. God did. The Father, he appointed him to be the high priest, just like Melchizedek, or in the order of Melchizedek. So you have a direct statement about Jesus being appointed by God as the high priest, just like Melchizedek. Okay, Hebrews 6.20. Okay, so this gives us a little more on him being in the order of Melchizedek. How long does his high priest, how long does it last? Forever. Forever. So that gives you a little bit more on it, doesn't it? Not only has he been appointed by God as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, like Melchizedek, but it's forever. That's longer than lifetime. Yeah, it's forever. That is a forever appointment just like Melchizedek. All right, let's try Hebrews 7, 17. Okay, and that's what we read prior. That's what Dave read. And the psalm reference there is Psalm 110, verse 4 on that. And then just go down a few verses to verse 21. Psalm 110 and verse 4, verse 22 says, Because of that oath, Jesus makes the promise of a better covenant certain. All right, so we're leaving the old behind for the better. And that's what we've been given. So what was Abram doing? I gave you this one. I gave you the introduction to this. What was he doing when he met Melchizedek? Well, I mean what was he doing as before he say before he met Melchizedek? Right. Well he had been he'd been robbed, right? And he was chasing after the guys that robbed him to get his stuff back. So he got his stuff back. He was heading home, so you see a theme there of restoration, right? That's what Abram was doing. He was getting his things back that was being that were being stolen. And so Melchizedek's role in that was they stopped him, but he blessed him in the midst of that. He blessed him in in all that he had. He blessed him in a blessing of. Whatever you want to see it as, a blessing of multiplication, a blessing of of, of who he was to be, who he was going to be, how God has set him apart, all of these things, a recognition of all that God had done over his life. So in the midst of that, in the midst of him getting his stuff back, here's this guy, this priest king, that meets him, that provides for him, bread and wine, right? Provides for him and then blesses him. And Abram's response was, of course, tight. So, in that sense, we have Jesus. And we have an enemy. The Bible says the devil came to do what things? He's going to steal, and he's going to kill, and he's going to destroy. The Bible also says that Jesus came, appeared, to destroy the works of the devil. So if the works of the devil are to steal and to kill and to destroy, Jesus came to stop that. He came as an answer to those things, and that's what we see. Through the New Testament. So, what we see through that Christology that was being built in the epistles through the New Testament, we see Jesus' role and see Jesus' work in that. If he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, that places us as a people of promise, that places us as a people of restoration. That places us in the midst as a people of intercession, as he intercedes for us. That that places us in the midst of, as a people of prophecy. That he prophesies over, that he speaks over our lives. If he's of that order. Now, according to the verses, I, I, I highlighted a few of these words. He's looking for our obedience. He's looking for our honor. He's looking for us to bow a knee to him. Not because he told us to, or he's lorded over us, but in response to who he is. We give in response. We obey in response. We love in response. We give him honor in response. We bow a knee in response. Not because someone has a whip on us, but because we want to. You see, this begins in us, from my perspective, This begins in us a true spirituality. A spirituality that goes way, way back. And it comes way, way forward to where we are now. That this isn't some upstart thought that someone had. But this is an old idea of man worshiping his God, coming close to his God, and his God truly taking care of him. A relationship that builds a relationship that inspires a response something real from us not something prescribed not something that somebody else tells us to do not because the book says it not because the bulletin says it not because someone told us that we needed to do it but a real response from our hearts that's what we're looking for here because that's what this is Abraham could have stayed in his own country and worshiped like his own family worshiped. He could have done that. He chose not to. There was a revelation that God brought into his heart, and he chose to follow after that revelation. And he found himself in a new country, and he found himself among a new people, and he found himself with the promise of God all over him, something he couldn't even see, but something he believed. And by faith, he appropriated that. You see, there's a true spirituality to that. But that's what God has for us, is a true spirituality. And we have to break out of the forms, and we have to break out of the things that have been prescribed for us to even enter into that spirituality, to begin to enter into that. And so we come to this place again, where I started things tonight about being willing to see something different, being willing to allow God to to shake our minds a little bit about something that maybe we hadn't thought of or maybe that we hadn't seen before or maybe that we hadn't heard before, but a true spirituality where God is really just revealing himself to us and we're in relationship with him and we're responding to him. Something real, not canned and and not predetermined somewhere. But something real. Something that comes from you. Deep inside. Something that comes out of you. Inspiration. That's the breathing in. If there's an inspiration, there needs to be an exhalation. Or you're going to die. We all have to inhale, and then we have to exhale. It's how the system works. So we want to say, yeah, I'm inspired. Inspired about what? What does that mean? What's it going to look like? Well, you've got to exhale sometime. So get all inspired. That's good. But what's the response? What does it produce? What comes out of it? Maybe it's not something everybody else has seen before. I don't know. Maybe it's not something that that the person next to you has ever experienced before. I can't answer that, but something needs to come out. Are you going to die with that inspiration? We call that holding our breath, and it only lasts for so long. Does anybody have any comments, any questions? Because what I was getting to here was a true spirituality. That's what we're getting to. And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews was getting to, too. He's like, you people are stuck. When he's writing to these people, he's like, you are stuck in what your forefathers did. You are stuck in what you've been taught your whole life. You are stuck in what you have been told to believe. And you can't somehow break out of that to something real and something pure and something that really matters here. And that's what he was really encouraging them to do. Experience Jesus. Experience him. Don't try to shove him into whatever it is that little cookie cutter you have of him based on all those things, and you're trying to reconcile all these different things in your head. Well, there's no reconciliation required, it's Jesus. It's Jesus and our spirituality. In him was before, and our spirituality with Him is now. So, how do you get there? You gotta weed through that. I gotta weed through that. I've been weeding through it, through it for years. And the more I cast aside, the weirder I get. That's the truth. The truth of that matter is the more I cast aside of stuff that I find out that I'm just holding on to for no reason, the little bit weirder I get every time. And I I think I'm okay with that, finally. (laughs) I think. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this, this what we're doing is so much simpler. What we are involved in is so much simpler than we're led to believe. It really is. We just have to take hold of that simplicity and don't let go of it. Don't let go of it. Because I'm pretty sure our enemy wants to rob us of that simplicity. I'm pretty sure of that. miserably too then it gets to the point where it has to be had to come back it is. it has to be Jesus we're given the path to be back to the relationship with God like Adam had in the garden well what I, what I would suggest you gave a good history there from the garden the fall all that took place between then, all the worship took place, and you had the law, and you have the judges, you have the kings, you have all the rest of that stuff. You have a pretty good chronology of it, but what I would suggest is this. The person, the one who needs to change their mind has never been God. It's always been us. And we went from one bad idea to another bad idea All the way down the line to where out of bad ideas, well not out of bad ideas, but to the point where the time of bad ideas was full and we got a good idea, which wasn't a new idea, but it requires us to change our minds. And so to continue down a road of bad ideas is utter foolishness. So we've got to change our minds if we're gonna get anywhere back to that place that God created us to be. So we see to want to have any kind of formula set of steps telling me what to do, kind of a thing. That's kind of true. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work. Right. Right. But we have to hold on to that. What you just said, we have to hold on to it and live it. We have to live it. So, let's pray. Thanks. Father, thanks for your solution to our folly. And I just want to say thanks, Jesus, for the answer the life that you give that you are a high priest the order of Melchizedek a priesthood that has no beginning and no end and that will last forever and so Jesus I just want to thank you that you are a restorer I want to thank you that you intercede for us and I want to thank you that you're about destroying the works of the enemy In and through our lives, so God, I pray that our minds, our brains, our hearts, our spirits can grab hold of what you're saying, and I pray that we can hold on to the simplicity of what you're showing, what you're revealing, that we can live in that simplicity and find a life of peace, and a life of joy, and a life of worship. That we find ourselves. In a state that you created us to be in. Of worship before you. And of life with you. So God, today I pray we can cast aside things that don't matter. And we can just take hold of you. Your will, your purpose, and your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. amen. Amen.